Good morning. I, I know uh, a handout has been passed, and it might be kind of scary looking. We're going to want to save that for the end. We're not going to get to it till near the end of the message. I just didn't want to pass it out at the end and kind of get, uh, uh, get distracted from the message. But you're not going to need it for now. And, uh, and uh, you'll, you'll understand what you need to understand of it by the end of the message. And you can take it home and study it at home and maybe get, get a greater understanding of it uh, then. Uh, as most of you know, I'm a soccer dad. We're kind of a soccer family. You have three kids playing soccer, two parents that are managing two of the three teams. <laughs> um, so clearly we enjoy soccer, but not every soccer game is as fun. Uh, Sometimes you go and, and your team is doing well, they're winning, and you know, it's pretty happy. And sometimes you go and your team is losing and it's not so happy. Uh, yesterday, uh, one of my kids had a game where they, they lost by a significant margin and kind of your head goes like. And then uh, you walk out of the soccer game to your car and the Bible tells us we should confess our sins to one another. And uh, one of the games I went to yesterday, there was like no parking. Um, and uh, there were a lot of cars parked by a red zone. And I'm like, well, you know, people probably know what they're doing and they're just they're not giving tickets because it's a soccer day and there's not enough parking. Uh, but why do you know I come out of the game and there's a ticket on my, my <laughs> windshield. My head goes down further. Um, those are relatively small strokes against you, right? Uh, Sometimes bigger strokes happen. Um, thinking of uh, uh, Isla passing away, you know what that would be like for for her family uh, to lose to lose somebody close to you. Uh, I've certainly had bigger bigger trials in my life than getting a parking ticket, and. Um, it's not a question of if you will have such a trial, uh, but more of a question of when, right? You will find yourself on your face, right? Uh, the carpet will get pulled from under you, uh, or it probably has. I'm guessing for most of you it already has happened. Uh, what do you do in such times? Um, today we will look at, uh, at chapter 9 of Daniel uh, because it connects to uh, our study of the book of Revelation. But uh, Daniel was no stranger to, to trials. He was uh, uh, a young man, perhaps a child, a teenager, when uh, he was taken away from his family uh, to a strange land, a strange language. Uh, basically, he was a slave of the king of Babylon. And uh, he got to see uh, years after that uh, his nation destroyed, the temple of God destroyed, the people of God enslaved. And uh, in this chapter, chapter 9, uh, Daniel uh, is dealing with that particular trial. And uh, at the very end of the chapter, we will have this amazing prophecy that helps us understand the book of Revelation, which is really the reason we're studying this chapter. But I thought it's probably worthwhile Starting at the beginning, we'll go fairly quickly through it until we get to the last few verses. So you just see how did Daniel deal with 
this crisis, personal national crisis that uh, he himself went through. So with that, let's turn to the beginning of the book of Daniel. Like I said, we'll go rather quickly through the first uh, 20 some verses of the chapter, but it's, it's, there's enough value in it and it, it gives a bit of a context to the prophecy uh, at the end that justifies us going through it. So Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, say it with me, Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realms of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Uh, stop. So Daniel uh, sought to understand the cause of the trials that he personally went through and the whole nation went through during this time. And as he studied uh, the word of God, uh, he understood two things. One is that they were uh, being judged by God for their sins. The nation of Israel was given uh, many, many privileges, uh, but they were also given the law of God, and the law of God specified certain things they were supposed to do, um, and they failed. They failed miserably. The whole Old Testament is the story of Israel's failure. It's also a story of God's grace and mercy. So we have other reasons to read it, but if you just want to know how well did Israel do, it's very clear they, they failed miserably. And, uh, and as a result, God finally brought his judgment upon them after warning them for many, many years. And they were exiled out of the land. They, Jerusalem destroyed, the temple destroyed. Um, but as Daniel studied, he also found that there was good news uh, in the Old Testament. There were promises that God uh, gave them in the book of Jeremiah. So we could do a quick turn to Jeremiah, or you could just look at the screen. Jeremiah 29, verse 10 says, For thus says the Lord, so this was written before, and so Daniel was reading this, together with you and me, Daniel was reading uh, what Jeremiah wrote, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. The good news, God still loved the nation of Israel, and he still had good plans for the nation of Israel, including restoring them back to their land. And so Daniel understood it. That's what it said in, in uh, the second verse of Daniel 9. He understood by the books the numbers of the years specified by the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how long this was. I think uh, probably 
there was still quite a few years to come. This is not at the end of the 70 years. Um, but Daniel recognizes, okay, it's our sins that brought us here, but God still has a plan to bring us back to his land. So what does he do? He sits back, relaxes, and has a, has a latte. No. Uh, verse 3, in Daniel chapter 9, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sacklash, and ashes. Right, so he's, he's uh, very sensible of the fact that he and Israel are undeserving of God's mercy, of this restoration to the land. He sees God's promise, he seizes on it, and he pours out his heart to God in prayer. I'll go ahead and read it. I'm not going to say much about it, but I noticed two things, just the depth of his recognition of the sin of Israel and the fact that it's really only God's mercy and grace that um, he can appeal to in order to see Israel restored. Verse 4, And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster, for under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind, and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your judgment, all your righteousness, I pray, 
let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies, O Lord. Hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. There's many encouragements in the scriptures to pray. Uh, we are familiar with uh, James, I think, chapter 4, where it says, uh, you have not because you ask not. Um, Daniel wasn't going to let that happen to him. <laughs> like, the, Lord, the Lord promised, he promised to redeem Israel, to restore Israel, uh, but, but I see the need, and I'm going to pray for it. Uh, I will call upon the Lord, I will call upon his word, I will lay hold of it. But I will pray until, until the Lord brings this thing to pass. Right? You see that determination in Daniel. And it's an encouragement to us, too, when we fall on our face. Um, the, the first, the first uh, application of, 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 of Daniel chapter 9 to uh, our falling on our face is, is seek an understanding of what happened in the Word of God. Uh, perhaps there's a good reason like getting a ticket for parking in a red zone. Um, and, uh, and then pray when you see uh, God's will, when you see God's plan for you, the good things that God has intent. Uh, don't sit back, relax, and have your latte and say, okay, well, you know, God's going to bring it to pass. Uh, go ahead and, and, and seek the Lord. Lay hold of his word, his promises uh, to you. Uh, now, continuing in verse 20, now, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved, therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. God answers Daniel's prayer by sending to him an angel, an angel. Gabriel is one of the angels we see appearing a few times in the scriptures. Um, he's an angel, <laughs> right? A uh, supernatural being, you know, for us, right? He's not limited by uh, human uh, limitations. Uh, he was created by God. And uh, among the things he can do uh, is travel and bring message, message, messages 
from God uh, to people. Uh, uh, God sent him to speak with uh, Zechariah in the temple uh, before John the Baptist was born. He sent him to speak to uh, Mary before Jesus was born. Um, and and uh, God could certainly send him today uh, to speak to you. Now, we don't need God to send us an angel, right? Uh, we have the word of God. Uh, but often, this will be part of God's response to us when we pray. Uh, when we, we uh, <clears throat> are going through a trial, and we turn to the Word of God, and we pour our heart before Him, a lot of time, that's when an understanding comes to us of, of something in the Word of God, some new, some new application. Uh, I remember going through, through a trial, uh, you know, weeping, and, and reading the Word of God, and then being so encouraged by the promise that God had for me in his word, a promise I never saw before, even though I read that passage multiple times. Uh, it's like the Lord has something precious for us during that time, if we will turn to him in the midst of our trials, as he does for Daniel here. Uh, and so uh, this is the prophecy, the 70 weeks prophecy. Um, you could look at this uh, handout uh, that I gave you. I'm not going to strictly use it, uh, but uh, you, you could probably follow a lot of what I say in there. <clears throat> and I'll probably refer to it more closely as we start getting into the particular of the prophecy. Before we get into the particular, or I shouldn't say the particular of the prophecy, the timing, uh, verse 25 through verse 27 are very detailed, uh, and the timing is important for our understanding of the book of Revelation, I wanted to start by just focusing on verse 24, which I consider more of the scope of the prophecy. What is it that God is promising uh, Daniel will take place here? So verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So, first of all, let's not lose the context. The context is Daniel's praying for the nation of Israel. Uh, they're right now flat on their faces, because of their sin against God. God promised to restore them. Daniel is praying specifically for God's restoration. And so it's not surprising that the prophecy is ultimately about Israel's restoration. Right? That's, that's the, main, uh, the main subject. Uh, and he breaks it into um, six points, if you would, six things that need to happen within this period of 70 weeks. Right? Now, uh, the word weeks in Hebrew literally means seven, Shavua. Oh, very close to the, the word seven means uh, uh, seven is Sheva. Shavua is a group of seven, right? a unit of sevens. Uh, so when it says 70 weeks, you could think of it rather as 70 sevens. Right? 70 sevens meaning 490. Right? So I do some of the math for you if you want to look at that sheet, but most of us know. Seven times seven is 
49. So 7 times 70 is 490. 490, uh, people have tried using different periods of time to say, well, clearly it's, uh, the, the, this is talking about a unit of time. Uh, if it's you know, days, well, this should have been fulfilled within 490 days, a year and a half. Nothing happened. Daniel would still be in exile during that. So we know it couldn't have been just days. Uh, and you could go through what could it have been. Uh, most people would believe that it's talking about years, 77 years, 77s of years, which would be 490 years, uh, which would bring you to roughly close to when Jesus came, right? Order of magnitude, because Daniel is dealing with this in um, the late uh, 400 BCs. Um, so 490 years will bring you to around, you know, somewhere around 30 AD, right? I mean, depending exactly where you start, right? Uh, so most people will pick with that. As we uh, study Revelation, we will find that Revelation is also talking about interesting periods of time. And, uh, and when you do a, a careful comparison, and I kind of outlined that in the upper right here, of the reasons of why people will do it. Uh, you have these uh, groups of 1,260 days that appear in Revelation, a couple of places. Uh, and then you have places where it says 42 months. And then you have places where it's called a time, times, and half a time. So if times in that case is two, then time, times, and half a time will be three and a half. Right? So if you say 1,260 days equal 42 months, which it roughly is, 30 days to a month, is equal one period, then the period becomes 360 days, which people will often refer to as a prophetic year. So if, if you spend time in studying Revelation, you compare it to Daniel, it becomes pretty clear that this 77 or 490 is speaking about 490 prophetic years. Each prophetic year composed of 12 months of 30 days or 1260 days. Okay? So we'll get, again, we'll apply it later on as we go. But for now, 70 weeks are determined for your people. Understand that to mean 490 prophetic years which will be, I wrote it somewhere here, what number of days that comes into. Okay, that's, that's what it's talking about. During that time, these things will need to happen. For this prophecy to be fulfilled, number one, uh, Israel will have to finish their transgressions. They'll need to make an end of sins. They need to make reconcili reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision, prophecy, anoint the most holy. Those things have to happen within that 490 prophetic years, okay? Um, what do these things mean? To finish the transgression, uh, what is Israel finishing their transgression? What is Israel's final and greatest sin as a nation that has happened? I have a picture, if you want to put the picture up there. Uh, they, said, they said no. No to Jesus, right? They rejected the Messiah that God sent to them. Jesus says as much in John 15, 
and verse 22, Jesus says this at the end of his ministry, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in the law, they hated me without a cause. Jesus came to the nation of Israel doing nothing but good. Right? He, he taught people the word of God. He comforted people. He healed people. And he finally offered himself to Israel as the Messiah, the one that God sent to them. And they rejected him, right? On a, a national level, the religious leaders, the civil authorities rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus says, had they not done this, they would have no sin, right? That's how serious that sin was, that it was uh, above any other sin that the nation of Israel ever, or ever did or ever will be. And that's why I believe it's a good uh, fulfillment of the prophecy of finishing transgression. In a sense, in a sense, Israel finished the transgression. They brought the rebellion against God to its ultimate height or end by rejecting the Messiah that was sent to them. And that happened. Uh, second is they need to make an end, end of sins. Um, making an end of sin, I usually think of that as, as repentance, as when we turn from our sins. So repentance literally means walking in my own way instead of following God's will for my life, and I turn around, right? And I'm, I'm now going to follow God's will for my life, right? That's, that is reaching an end to sins. Obviously, I'm not perfect yet at that point. I'm still a sinner, but I, I've ended my life of sin. I've turned around to follow the Lord. And, I, and that's described for us in uh, Zechariah 12, in verse 10, this, this is an event that will yet happen. It hasn't happened yet. It's another wonderful prophecy in the Word of God. Uh, says there, Zechariah says, or the Lord speaking through Zechariah, saying, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. This is yet to happen, but a day is come when the nation of Israel will look at the Lord Jesus, recognize uh, that he was pierced for them. He died for them. He died because of, of them. And they will mourn for him, and they will repent of their sins. So that will be an end of sins yet to happen, which you'll probably wonder, well, how? How could that be if everything had to happen in 490 prophetic years? I'll get there. Uh, but it must be fulfilled. It must be fulfilled in this period of time, 490 prophetic years. A third thing that has to happen, make reconciliation uh, for iniquity. Uh, so I like that picture as far as reconciliation. Um, uh, Israel and God were, were separate. Right? Israel was in a state of rebellion against God, and, and yet a day will come when they will be reconciled 
Now, there had to have been a provision to allow uh, this reconciliation. If I spent the day uh, walking down, walking down in the sewers, and uh, and it was completely covered with filth, and I came home, and you know, I'd say, you know, going inside, honey, I'm home. And uh, my wife would come, and I'd offer her a big hug. She'll say, uh, first, uh, take off your clothes, <laughs> throw them in the trash, <laughs> go take a shower, and then I'll give you a hug. Uh, something had to be done uh, with Israel's sin, and Zechariah 13.1 uh, states as much. It says, in that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So God prophesies in Zechariah 13.1 about this fountain that can actually wash sin away. I cannot go take a shower and wash away my sin. Yet God will open for Israel a fountain that cleanses them from sin. And uh, we don't have to guess and wonder what it is because we're told as much uh, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. How is Israel and God reconciled? Same way you and I are reconciled through the blood of the Lord Jesus, right? It's through his death. All our sins were laid upon him, and there he died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. That's the only way to, uh, to remove sin, to take care of sin, is through the death uh, of the guilty person. And God provided his son as a substitute for you and for me, so that we don't have to die uh, for our own sins. Uh, I appreciate what Matt shared at the breaking of bread about the uh, capacity, capacity of the Lord Jesus, trying to think of, you know, how much, how much he loves us, um, how much he suffers for us, suffered for us, and how much joy he experienced. I, I think that was maybe the order you presented it, Matt. And, uh, you know, I, I'm always a... Uh, you know, an engineer, and I always try to do things mathematically, and I'm like, how can I, you know, try to, to, to explore the depth of God's love? Well, a single sin, as Howard reminded us, just blasphemy, just blaspheming God, saying something untrue about God, uh, thinking something untrue about God, uh, rejecting who God is, God's offer to, uh, to you of his son, uh, is deserving of death. And, and really, when we say death, we have to explore what the Bible says about that. It's eternal separation from God in the lake of fire, right? That's what I owe God for every sin I've committed, and I've committed a lot of sin, right? Well, now you have to add your sins to mine, <laughs> and everybody else in this room, and everyone else in this nation, and everyone else in this world, and everyone else across all of time. Right? And that's what Jesus suffered on the cross. Right? Well, how much uh, joy did he have? Matt pointed out, well, he had enough joy. 
that it was greater than the shame he experienced on the cross for our sins. Well, how much love does Jesus have? He had enough love that he was willing to do that for us and that he received so much joy <laughs> from having done it. Uh, so really incredible when we think about God's provision of reconciliation for iniquity. That is how much God wants to put his arms around you if you don't know him yet. Right? He wants to be reconciled to you. He wants you and him to have that, that fellowship that he created you for. Uh, the fourth point of, of the prophecy, just the scope of the prophecy, uh, says to bring in everlasting righteousness. And um, yeah, I like that picture. Uh, it's taken from Isaiah 11. Uh, Isaiah 11, verse, starting at verse 4, uh, speaks of, of the time to come. Again, this is something that hasn't happened yet, so we're going kind of back and forth, things that happen, things that haven't happened. But all have to fit, right, in this 490 prophetic years. Uh, but with righteousness... Isaiah 11.4, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the water, waters cover the sea. So, yeah, the state of righteousness is, extends beyond just human relations. Human relations with God, it affects the whole of creation. Uh, animals will stop, uh, um, what do you call it? Predatoring on one another, <laughs> right? Uh, it's just going to be a different world in which we live. And again, has to be fulfilled somehow. We have to reach that state uh, within the 490 uh, prophetic years. Then uh, seal up vision and prophecy. Um, Don reminded us uh, last week of the fact that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? He will. He will do everything uh, that he said. And, uh, and so he has to seal up vision and prophecy. Uh, the Hebrew word is, is chatam. Say it with me, chatam. And it literally, you know, means the kind of seal that, that will go on a document where you can actually, like, mark. In those days, I think they used wax or something, and then they would mark it with uh, something that would leave a mark like that. Uh, and, but the point is, it, it shows God is done, prophecy done, prophecy done, right? Everything God said he will do must be fulfilled within 490 years of this prophecy. Um, okay, anoint, uh, final one is anoint 
uh, the most holy. Uh, anointing is something that um, was done in Old Testament time uh, to recognize a particular ministry ordained by God. So, for example, the priests, right? When Aaron was dedicated to be Israel's high priest, he had a job to make sure that, that all the uh, rules regarding the priesthood were, were being followed. Israel was, uh, had a right relationship with God through the sacrifices uh, in the temple. And so he was anointed uh, to mark that that was his God-given role, right? I mean, you can't just make this up. I can't go and anoint Don as high priest over us because God didn't say he should be the high priest, right? Uh, but in this case, God set Aaron apart, but then he had Aaron anointed so that everybody would know, would recognize this is his ministry. Uh, the same thing for a prophet. When a prophet was um, chosen, uh, you, could, you could show this is God's prophet by anointing them. The same thing with the king. When the king was selected, uh, they, were, uh, they were anointed to show this is God's king meaning this is the king that God has appointed uh, for that ministry. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of, that, of those pictures because he is the anointed one. That's literally what Christ means. Uh, it's a Greek version of the word Messiah. Uh, the word, word Messiah or Mashiach literally is the word uh, being used here to anoint. Uh, so it, Jesus is the anointed one. He is prophet, priest, and king. He was a prophet when he came to the earth, right? And the Gospels have all of the revelation that Jesus gave us, right? He, he taught the people. He was acting as a prophet. Uh, he is priest. He's right now fulfilling his priestly ministry of reconciling people to God. Uh, and he is king. Now, to some extent, we, haven't, we don't see quite the fulfillment of the last step. If you are a believer, you recognize Jesus as your king or Lord, uh, but all the world will recognize, will recognize this to be the case. Uh, Psalm 2 is, is a great one for this uh, prophecy. Um, starting at verse 7, uh, Jesus is, is actually here speaking through the Lord Jesus. Uh, he says, I will declare, sorry, Jesus is speaking here through David. King David wrote this and the Lord Jesus is literally speaking through him. He says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, Jesus is speaking of himself, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So Jesus was, if you would recognize by God as the king of the world. That's what he says here. Ask of me and I will give you uh, the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. So the, the earth belongs to Jesus. The nations belong to Jesus. They just don't recognize him as such. And that's the second half of anointing. People need to recognize who he is. And that's why he says, kiss the son lest he be hungry, an act of homage 
recognition of who Jesus is. Has it happened yet? No. But it must be fulfilled within 490 prophetic years from when this prophecy starts. Right? Um, okay, so that's the scope. That's what has to happen. Right? And it makes sense that that would be uh, God's answer to Daniel's prayer. So now we get to look a little bit at the specifics of what this prophecy says will happen and have some understanding of how it is possible that all of this will happen within 490 years of when the prophecy was given. Uh, so uh, the rest of, of the verses, I, I often do it where I kind of skip the part I'm supposed to read of the passage. So, so we'll finish it up. Uh, by reading Daniel 24 through 27. Sorry, I already read verse 24, so we'll go ahead and start at verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. And till the end of the war, the solutions are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is put out on the desolate. Okay, so now we're beginning to get a breakdown of the prophecy. Um, and it starts with seven weeks and 62 weeks. Uh, seven weeks, uh, the time during which Jerusalem will be rebuilt, right? That was part of the prophecy, to restore and build Jerusalem. And he talks again about the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome time. Okay, so that's, that's going to be seven weeks. Each week is seven years. That will be 49 years. Okay, I'm going to rewind just slightly. When does the clock start? Because it doesn't start when Daniel is given the prophecy, right? He's told that it will start from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. When was the command given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem? Uh, the answer for that is, um, would be in Nehemiah. I think I wrote it down somewhere here on my really complicated uh, handout. Um, oh, it says Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8. So for the sake of time, we're not going to read it. But this is after Nehemiah prays himself about mourning about the destruction of Jerusalem. He hears the people have already come back and, and have rebuilt the temple. But the city was still in ruins around it. And so he's mourning about the city, and he asks permission from uh, the king um, I think, I'm not sure if it's Darius at the time or Artaxerxes, and they give him permission, they give him a command to go and rebuild Jerusalem. So that's when it starts. 
And the date is um, uh, March 5th, 444 BC, which is uh, Nisan would be the, the Hebrew month, Nisan one of Artaxerxes. So it was Artaxerxes uh, the king. So you could, you could like go through uh, archeology span and history and you can find exactly when Artaxerxes started his reign, what the 20th year will be, what the, the Jewish month, when the Jewish month was, and you can translate it. And that's how we come up with March 5th, uh, 444 BC. So that's the beginning of the 490 years, right? Okay, then there was the seven years, sorry, 49 years to rebuild Jerusalem, seven weeks, and then 62 weeks uh, until Messiah the Prince appears, right? That's what it says uh, in the middle of verse 21 that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Okay? Add seven and 62, you get 69. Remember, you have to now multiply it by seven. And I did it for you, uh, so, so we should be okay uh, in that spreadsheet. <coughs> and, uh, and then you can multiply it by number of days, right? Because... These are prophetic years of 360 days. They're not, they're not regular years. And you come up with a total of 173,880 days. Take my word for, for, my word for it now. Go home. You can do the math yourself. Okay. Um, okay. So we do that. We do that. Right? We go to March 5th, 444 B.C., we add 173, 880 days. We get to March 30th, 8033. What happened on that day? You could cheat and look at my... <laughs> Jesus enters Jerusalem sitting on a donkey. So maybe not the date you guess. Maybe you thought, oh, it would be his crucifixion, right? Uh, or, or, or his resurrection, right? Or something else, or Pentecost. But no, it was the day he enters Jerusalem, sitting on a donkey. And, and here is what you start, all of a sudden, things start clicking for you. You know, if you're familiar with the scripture. Because how many times did Jesus allow people to treat him as royalty? Once in his entire three years ministry. He only wants. Other times people tried to make him king. He just sent him away, walked away. Right? I'm, not here, I'm not here to do that because that wasn't what he was going to accomplish as the Messiah. He really came to die for their sins. But he had to offer himself to Israel as their Messiah. Right? And to fulfill the prophecies, right, he had to do it as Messiah the Prince. It says so here, there's another prophecy about him entering Jerusalem sitting on a donkey. But again, it's something very strange. Why is Jesus letting them do it? And all of a sudden it makes sense because it's a fulfillment of the prophecy to the day when Messiah, the prince, was going to come. Another interesting thing that, that um, you may have noticed you know, looking at that particular day, Jesus does something interesting. He goes into the temple and he looks around, and he then leaves. That's all he does. He comes to Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. 
you know, Palm, Palm Sunday, you know, the branches, everybody's yelling Hosanna, you know, seems to be received as a king. He goes to the temple, he looks around, and he leaves, right? He stays at Simon's place at Bethany. He comes back the next day. He sees a fig tree. He's hungry. There's no figs on the tree. He curses the tree and says it shall never bear fruit again. Very strange. I mean, all these things are like, why is Jesus doing that? And, and you don't see him doing anything like that, right? Anywhere else in the Gospels. And this kind of starts clicking because you see, he was offering himself to Israel as the Messiah. This was the fulfillment, 400 and, sorry, this is not, no longer 490 years, it's 490 minus 7, so 463 years to the day, he's now offered himself to Israel as the Messiah. He comes to the temple to look for a reception. Is there a reception for Jesus in the temple? No. The priests want nothing to do with him. The Pharisees want nothing to do with him. The Sadducees want nothing to do with him. Right? In fact, when he shows up the next day, they say, hey, by whose authority are you here? Not our authority. Right? We're not sanctioning what you're doing. So he came to be received by the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel effectively rejects the Lord Jesus. He leaves. Right? 490-year prophecy for the nation of Israel is now paused, right? Like you're watching a movie and you need to take a bathroom break or whatever, you can pause the movie, right? I, I try to convince my kids that sometimes, you know, just pause it, you know, go do what you need to do and come back and finish the movie. God presses the pause button and that's why he curses the fig tree. The fig tree is a picture of the nation of Israel. And the people who were to benefit from the coming of the Messiah will now not benefit. They will miss out on the Messiah's blessing because they rejected him. Okay? So all the prophecies up to that point was fulfilled. God presses the pause button. And then note in verse 26, right, it says, after the 62 weeks. This is something that's now happening outside of the 490 prophetic years, right? The pause button is pressed, but what's going to happen? Messiah will be cut off for not, but not for himself. This is when, when Rick shared this prophecy with me. I was not a Christian yet, and he wanted me to see how the Old Testament prophesied the Lord Jesus to come. And for Jews, the idea of a Messiah is a, a world ruler, some too, all the way, right? And yet Jesus comes and he gets rejected and he gets crucified. And like, how does that fit with what the Messiah is supposed to do? And here it was unavoidable, right? It says, Messiah shall be cut off. In Hebrew, the word is yikaret, which means to like chopping down a tree. And I couldn't deny, here's the two words together, Messiah and being cut off, right? And I realized that my picture of what the Messiah was supposed to do was flawed, right? It didn't fit with the scriptures. And, uh, and that happened after the 62 weeks, right? Jesus was crucified, just like it says. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be 
with a flood. And till the end of the wars, desolations are determined. What would happen after that? Jerusalem will get destroyed. Right? When did that happen? 40 years after Jesus began his ministry. Jesus began his ministry around 30 AD. Jerusalem was destroyed 70 AD. 40 years, the typical period of testing that God was giving the nation of Israel. They had 40 years, the people of that generation, to realize, you know, we're going the wrong way, we need to turn. And after that, God says, we're done with these sacrifices. Right? These were pictures to point you to the Lord Jesus. You rejected him, I gave you 40 years, we're done. Right? And, and Jerusalem was destroyed. Okay, interestingly, right, just like you can press pause button, you know, on your VCR to stop it, you can press the play button, right? And that's what happens in verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Remember, there was a total of 70 weeks, 69 have happened, right? God pressed the pause button, and now we have the last week happening, right? God is pressing the play button. Right now we're in the pause button period, right? We're outside of the 490 years period. The timer hasn't started going again, right? Now this is what explains what Don was talking about last week, is the fact we're going through the book of Revelation, right? There's letters being written to the church, right? Those are the things that are, right? The book of Revelation is divided into the things you have seen, the things that are, and the things that will be. The things that are, that's the church, right? And now we're moving in Revelation to the things that will be, and you cannot find the church anymore. And all of a sudden, Israel is center stage again for, for God's dealings, right? And like, you know, what happened? You know, it's been 2,000 years since God's been dealing with the nation of Israel, and all of a sudden, they're center stage again in the book of Revelation. Why? Because God pressed the play button, right? Is unpausing, right? This prophecy of 490 years, right? All of a sudden, things start making sense again. You can look at Revelation like, okay, I'm getting it. I can see where these things are coming from. Um, okay. Um, I am not, I'm, I'm kind of out of time. So I'm not going to get into the details of what the Antichrist is going to do. So we have here, um, in verse 27, it talks about the Antichrist. It says, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. We will see that happen as we go through the book of Revelation, right? Uh, so I'm not, I'm not going to get into the details of that. Uh, you just kind of have to stay tuned. Uh, but as I, as I was, you know, thinking about this passage and application, um, so the first one is God is able to keep his word perfectly, right? 490 years, right? Or in this case, 483 Right, prophetic years, from when some, what appears like a random command goes out, right? The King Artaxerxes tells Nehemiah, sure, go ahead, build that city, right? The clock starts ticking. So many things could have happened during that time. Millions of people making choices, affecting their lives, 
right? And yet somehow, at the end of the 483 prophetic years, to the day Jesus is walking, sorry, riding into Jerusalem, sitting on a donkey, people are cheering Hosanna, the Pharisees are like, can't you hear what these guys are saying? And he says, you know, if these would go quiet, the stones themselves are going to cry out. You don't realize what a day this is. And, uh, and you realize, you know, in spite of all the stupid choices we make in our life, God is able to fulfill his word. And, uh, and that's an encouragement because, because we're not perfect. Right? And we make mistakes. And um, the people we love uh, make mistakes. And, uh, and yet God desired to comfort Daniel uh, through this prophecy. And God desires to comfort us uh, with his word. I was uh, thinking of uh, a verse we often quote about love, saying, but now uh, these three remain. I believe it's faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And we often use that to talk about how great love is, and love is great, right? And the verse says that love is the greatest. And then we often talk about faith, right? Because faith is uh, the substance of things hopeful, right? That's, that's, that's what we live by, right? We, we trust God, we trust his word. <clears throat> but hope is also part of the great three, right? And what is hope? Hope is our future expectation, right? Uh, right now, life uh, could be difficult. You might be uh, like Daniel uh, with his, his face down, right? Everything taken away from him. Uh, you, you may have lost a loved one. Uh, you might be going through uh, serious health issues, uh, or, or maybe something smaller happened, disappointing. You lost a soccer game, or you got a ticket for parking at a, at a red zone. Uh, God wants us to keep our eyes on the hope. Uh, this, is, this is not our world. Uh, this is not the body I'm going to go into heaven with. Uh, we have a, a place there that God is preparing for us. Uh, we will be with God. Jesus prayed to the Father. He wanted us to be there with him, to see him uh, in his glory. And so whatever trials we're going through here below, uh, God has given us hope in his word so we can uh, be encouraged and don't have to be uh, downcast. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word uh, to us. We, uh, we recognize our difficulties trials come upon us. You allow them uh, for your good uh, purpose uh, in our lives, but you give us a hope, a hope beyond this place. And uh, we ask that uh, for any among us going through trials right now, that you'll put your, your hand upon them, encourage them, assure them of your love and the good things that you have planned for them. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.